With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Welcome in to another edition of the Can't Wait Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with the Athletics Jets reporter Connor Hughes and our producer Marissa Morris. Week two of OTAs, Connor and the media allowed to watch two days of practice. The Jets are kind of kissing up to the media, I guess, this year, trying to get on the good side, allowing you guys into two practices this week. Two more next week. We'll fill you in on everything that's going on there. The rookies, the veterans, who was there, who wasn't, why they weren't there. But you may notice, you probably don't, but you may notice if you're watching us on YouTube that we look crisper because we are bringing it to you in 1080p for the first time. Exciting, exciting development here on the YouTube stream of the Can't Wait Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, whether it's YouTube or Apple, wherever you listen. We love reviews, so give us five stars there as well. Connor, two chances to look at this team this week, but I feel like you're frustrated today, but you're not allowed to talk about it yet. No, I'm not. Well, we could go into the gorgeous ticket that I received on my way home from practice today. That's that could be one thing we could talk about and or we could just talk about our lives and enjoy ourselves a little bit. But going back on that last episode and reading through the YouTube comments, I was eviscerated. I mean, I haven't been bullied that bad since elementary school. Like, seriously, like Ryan, I'm not going to say his last name was the last person that bullied me as bad as the people in that comment section. I mean, it was it was a massacre. And I think what blew my mind the most is that all the people that were ripping us for like the starting of like how we started the show and like kind of just having a fun conversation and getting back in the rhythm of things, back in the bachelor party, back all that, trying to get ourselves going again. They weren't people that were in like this live chat that had to endure it. They were people, (laughs) there's like YouTube has like a fast forward button. They have like just jump 10 seconds. They could have pressed that like six times and it would have been over and they could have just gotten to the Zach. Well, I mean, one kid's like, I'm going to jump off a bridge. If you don't start your Zach Wilson talks, it was a massacre. So We'll get to we'll get to the ticket that I got, which is complete and total bullshit that I literally have to go to court for for a hundred dollar ticket that I got no points for. I have to go to court like to plead my case that I don't want to plead. I'm just just let me pay my fine. Didn't you just and, say, uh, yeah. do, you, do you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? <laughs> I I'm did a drop co-host that line of because the guy didn't give me podcast. a chance. He didn't yeah. give me a chance to drop that line. He was like, here's your ticket. Goodbye. I was like, I have no point. I've never been in trouble before. I'm a good boy. I, 10 years have been driving. No, 12 years have been driving. And I don't have a single point or uh, infraction. And they're treating me like I'm, I just murdered someone. But okay, yeah, we're going to go on. All Jets talk. That's it. That's all the rambling and, and we're done. So hopefully the YouTube community doesn't just burn me alive on a stake like they did the last one. He brew it. But you know what? I'm laughing all the way to the bank because we got like 17,000 views on that episode. A new career high. So yeah, all right, rip okay. me all you want if you keep clicking the download button. We're, we're getting the hate oh, I, viewers. I'm laughing at the yeah. bank. We don't even yeah. get this. It goes to the athletic. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we're three minutes in and we're going to get right to the jet stuff. So that should keep everybody Perfect. happy. Yep. Here we go. Um, so as we will probably always start these things, we got to start with Zach Wilson. But I mentioned there's a lot of other stuff to get to. But as far as Zach goes, last week, the big story was 
This guy doesn't look like a rookie. He looks so comfortable making all the great throws. And a lot of that on Wednesday, too. Um, Salah did say before the practice today that, you know, the the one thing you like to see what he can do in is the red zone, which they did a little bit of that on Wednesday when when things move quicker for a quarterback. But then today, Connor, after after a good start, he actually looked like a rookie a little bit, which is obviously not something we should be concerned about at this point. And in some ways, it's almost like, well, at least he's he's human early on. But just explain what that means. He he kind of looked like a rookie today. You you have two hats on the back wall now. Oh yeah, next week I just three. Yeah, we <laughs> keep keep this going. See how many hats we can get on Tim's wall. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I think it's cool what what uh, what Salah's done, and we don't like we're getting an extra day of access, which is I mean I covered kind of the tail end of Rex, and then obviously all of Todd and all of Adam. Uh, you only ever got the one week OTAs. Even when I covered the Giants for that offseason, it was one day a week of OTAs, then all of man- mandatory mini camp, and then obviously you started with everything during training camp. So it was kind of weird to get the text message from from Rich and uh, Brian, and they were like, "Hey, we're going to get an extra day. There's going to be no uh, player access and no Sala access in terms of like press conference, but we'll be able to watch practice, which is really cool when you're dealing with a rookie because you know, and especially when when you're kind of wanting to see how they go in and out, like how do they respond from a bad day, how do they respond from a good day." You want to see those things when you only see one day a week. I mean, you don't know if you got the one bad practice or if you got the one good practice. So I think this week when we got to see two, we got a little bit of a mix of it. I mean, I thought Zach was significantly better on Wednesday than he was today. And and I don't think he was bad today. He just had more bad moments today than what he did on Wednesday. I mean, Wednesday it was the same two team drills that the Jets do and then an abundance of seven on seven. But he was... Um, very precise in the red zone. He was very committed in the red zone. There wasn't too much of the, uh, we're taking a chance here. We're kind of slowing down. I'm double hitching anything like that. I mean, it was a lot of the the balls in his hand. He sees his receiver. He gets the ball there. He attacked a bit down the field. I mean, he came very, very close to a gorgeous deep ball down the seam to Braxton Berrios. The ball went just off of Berrios' hands. He probably should have caught it. In fact, Jamison Crowder probably does catch it. But um, I, I think it was... I think Wednesday was one of those days where, again, you didn't think he was a rookie. It was a day where he looked um, comfortable. It was a day where he was accurate. It was a day where, again, we saw the laser beam throw and then also the touch pass because there was one on like this little skinny post deep in that he threw to Elijah Moore on Wednesday, not counting the one that we saw today, which was just an Elijah Moore spectacle. But uh, there was like this little skinny post that he threw on Wednesday, which he like 100 miles per hour just right into Elijah Moore, get the ball in his hands and let him go run and let him go do those things. Like get him, get the ball in his hands, let him go. We saw that. Then later on in practice, Michael Carter ran a little wheel route up the sideline and Zach Wilson, as he was like backtracking, just flicked his wrist, dropped it probably 20, 25 yards down the field, but right in Michael Carter's hands. And it is sometimes uncommon when you have a young rookie quarterback that has the arm strength that Zach Wilson does. It's a little uncommon for them to be able to throw the change up as well, because and this was that Christian Hackenberg problem. Uh, this was sometimes a Bryce Petty problem is that these guys would, and I know they were later round picks than what than what Wilson was, but these guys knew they had the fastball. So it was almost like Sean Doolittle where it was like fastball, 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 fastball. And they were just pumping it, like constantly throwing the fastball. That sometimes when it's like a three yard hitch, you don't need the 100 mile per hour fastball. You can usually just get it to the guy and let him move it in space. So to see Zach have that ability and that arm talent and that arm maturity to know, okay, this is a moment where I got to zip it in there. Or, no, this is a moment where I kind of want to pull it back a little bit and we're just going to lob it. 
I think that's a really great sign, and we saw a lot of that on Wednesday. We saw some accuracy within the red zone. We saw him getting getting the ball to his guys in space. We saw comfortability in the team drills. It was a very, very, very good day Wednesday. I thought a better day Wednesday than what we saw week one, Zach Wilson. Uh, today on Friday, the Jets, obviously, this is OTA, so every single day is going to be a little bit more install, a little bit more information, a little bit more put on his plate. Uh, and especially because this is the last practice of this week of OTAs, they're going to ramp it up even a little bit more. Uh, today wasn't as good. And and what I mean by that is I think there was a little bit more hesitation from him as the practice went on. There was a little bit more indecisiveness as the practice went on. Um, there was a, a miscommunication throw, which I'll get to in a second, but it just, it wasn't as crisp and as smooth. I wouldn't go as far as to say like, oh, he looked like a bust or he looked like a rookie, but it was one of those rookie practices where you see some really, really good, then you see some really, really bad. Then you see some really, really good, and then you see some really, really bad. You know, it started, like you said, Tim, red hot. I mean, the Jets brought everyone together for their first set of 11 on 11 team drills, as has been the case the last couple of days. It's all scripted. So it went run, run, and then Zach Wilson threw. And the pass that he threw, it was a hit your back foot, rifle it through, and he got it to... Elijah Moore on an absolute line. And when Elijah Moore caught that ball, it was like a deep end. So like 10 yards, plant your right foot, cut in. He beat Bryce Hall like like bad. Like he beat Bryce Hall bad with the move, made the grab and accelerated up the field and outran the entire defense to get there. Now I know like Bless Austin wasn't there. I know that the Jets obviously don't have Marcus May. They're missing a slew of players in the, on their defense. But to see him run away from everyone, to see him run away from NFL talent, We'll get to Elijah Moore in a bit, but the Jets haven't had a player like him in a good long while. And and the Jets went from that 11-on-11 series to a red zone drill where it was Zach Wilson working inside the 10-yard line. I think they were about the five. You couldn't tell exactly because of the vantage point we had. But it went five passes for Zach Wilson, five touchdowns. He hit Vincent Smith. I think it was Vincent Smith, Ty Johnson, Michael Carter, Braxton Berrios, and Elijah Moore were the five touchdowns. And that was kind of, though, where the good feelings ended because then on the next set of team drills... It was rough. You know, he missed Keelan Cole wide open down the right sideline, overshot him, overshot uh, Matt Cole a little bit. Then Matt Cole also dropped one, then the Jets ran the ball. And the next set of seven on seven drills, he threw an ugly interception to JT Hassel, who happened like, I think it was Daniel Brown going down the seam. And I don't know if Zach Wilson expected Daniel Brown to turn around. I don't know if Daniel Brown ran the right route. Zach Wilson saw it wrong, but Hassel undercut the route, picked it off and ran it back in seven on seven drills. In the next seven on seven drills in the red zone, again, Zach Wilson missed a pass on the right on the, to the right side, I believe it was to Matt Cole. Should have thrown another interception to uh to CJ Mosley, who made a beautiful break to close a window on the middle of the field. Should have been another interception. Did come back with a touchdown to Denzel Mims, but when you're throwing five passes from inside the five-yard line, you'd expect some touchdowns in seven on seven drills. So uh Wednesday I thought was really, really good. Today was probably more of that like up and down rookie performance that you'd expect. It's nothing to panic about, it's nothing really to worry about, in my opinion. I think it's honestly just one of those things where you're going to see the rookie curve. You're going to see the rookie learning curve where it's going to be a wave for a while and you're going to see him look really, really good. You're going to see him have really, really bad moments. And now it's just about how he responds. Media is going to be in attendance for Tuesday's practice, which I'm really excited for because the last time we saw him was bad. Let's see how he builds on it, learns from it, watches the film, and then gets back out there with his teammates. Well, you mentioned Elijah Moore, so we should get into that. And we'll talk about Crowder too, that kind of those two kind of go together. But first, Moore, who's at practice, and you mentioned the one play, but overall, beyond that burst of speed today on that first reception, it's really been three straight practices, right, where this guy has shown flashes of of what I think we kind of expected to see in this environment. It's still seven on sevens, and it's it's kind of wide open. We'll see how he does against full defenses and all that, but but the rookie is impressed. He's shown the speed and the, the looks that we expected. Every day he's getting a little better. 
I, I think that's probably the best way to describe Elijah Moore. And, you know, th- this college season was weird because, like, the games were kind of weird. The who was playing was kind of weird. There was no NFL scouting combine. I mean, it, w- it was a funky season. That's kind of the only way that you can really describe 2020, both college, collegiately, and in the NFL. I mean, it, it was it was odd. And I haven't really felt less prepared when it comes to evaluating college talent than I necessarily have this year. You know, a lot of these players the Jets were drafting, you're kind of hearing about them for the first time because of how many opt-outs there were. I mean, like Jamar Chase, for example, like he didn't even play this year. He opted out. Guy's a top 10 pick and, and you know, they're talking about him being better than Stefan Diggs and, and better than, than uh, Justin Jefferson and all this stuff. And we just haven't seen him play. So I think this one was the most funky offseason just because you didn't really know it. So when the Jets drafted Elijah Moore, like I called people about him. I made talks. I talked to scouts. I talked to executive talks to some talent evaluators, talked to people over at the Jets, what they thought. And I saw how excited they were. And not just publicly, not just what you saw with the video in the war room. I mean, they openly, whoever you asked, were like, I can't believe we got Elijah Moore. Like, it was like, obviously, they're thrilled about Zach Wilson, but they knew where they're getting Zach Wilson. They they love Elijah Vera Tucker, but they traded up to go get Elijah Vera Tucker. The fact that Elijah Moore fell to them when they did, there are people within that building that still need to be pinched because they can't believe it's true. So when you're hearing these things from me, I was like, let's see what the kid can do. Like, like is he really just an athletic guy where he's like, get in the space, watch him move like a Percy Harvin uh, Debo Samuel type, or is he more of like a really technically sound receiver who can also do those Samuel Percy Harvin type things? Like what kind of a player did the Jets get? Because all I heard was quick, agile, athletic, explosive. And obviously those are good things to hear, but you want to see it. The first OTA that we watched, he didn't do that much. He had an end around that he had where you saw some of that burst around the side and he caught a touchdown in seven on seven drills, but that was it. The two days that we saw him this week, you saw that explosiveness. You saw that quickness. You saw that acceleration. You saw exactly why Robert Sala was pounding the table in the draft room screaming, let's go, man, because they got him. I mean, I've covered this team every training camp practice since 2016. I've covered some variation of this team since 2014, 2015. I've seen a lot of guys come in here and I've seen a lot of guys leave here. I've seen a lot of the next great thing come in here. I've seen a lot of the ha 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 get cut like a year later. I don't think I've ever seen anyone as explosive in a Jets uniform as this kid is. And it's early. I've only seen him practice three times. A lot can change. Injuries can happen. This can happen. That can happen. But he has explosiveness, speed, acceleration, and agility and excitement, I would say, that just hasn't been around here. You know, the Jets have had good receivers since I've been on the beat since four, at different points since I've been on the beat in 14. Like, you know, Brandon Marshall was a ridiculous receiver, but he was like that 6364 physically imposing just beast. I mean, that was like his his handle, wasn't it on Twitter like the beast? He was like a physically imposing beast. Eric Decker was a hell of a receiver, but he was like a technician. Like he wasn't the fastest, he wasn't the strongest, he wasn't like the the most agile or athletic. But he was so technically sound and such a route technician that he would get open that way. Jeremy Curley was a good player. Quincy Anunwa was an athletic freak, but wasn't really a sound receiver because he always dealt with those drops. What this kid can do is just, it's ridiculous. And he's only going to get better. And the fact that he's doing this now when he still needs to get NFL coaching, Miles Austin's Mammoth Pride, Miles Austin, still needs to work with him and, and improve it. Like, there, it's, it's impressive. Like, obviously, you see his 
is route running by the goal line. Cause the last two day or the last two days, OTAs that we've watched, there's been a lot, uh, uh, two drills each day of seven on seven goal line, both on the far end of the end zone. And then the close end of the end zone, his ability to work within space is remarkably impressive. I mean, when he's one-on-one with a defensive back, and I know the Jets DBs stink and they're not any good, especially when he's going up against the second team guys. I mean, like Eckel and all these, like they're not going to stick with Elijah Moore. They shouldn't. I mean, it's it's almost like, and it was one of the, uh, Samini was like, man, it's like an expansion secondary out there at times. It was a great line. Um, like, so like these guys should be getting open, but they can't stick with them in such short space. Like whether it's like the in-out, like whatever moves he's doing to put on these defensive backs, He's constantly getting open. I mean, he caught three touchdowns in Wednesday's practice. He caught another touchdown today when Zach Wilson was off and Denzel Mims was in. So Denzel Mims was taking some reps. He is just so hard to defend in that short of area because it's almost like you have to keep up with him. And he's so quick and he's so agile that he can't. And then that catch that he made on the third play of practice, on the third play of full team drills in practice. There's been one player that I've seen break away from a defense like that. And it was Odo Beckham. When I covered the Giants in in their, I covered Odell's rookie year. And when I watched Odell rookie minicamp, watched Odell OTAs and stuff like that before he coincidentally hurt his hamstring and was sidelined for a large portion of the beginning portion of that year, he would do things after he caught the ball where there was like another gear. Like you see fast guys, like Robbie Anderson was fast, but like there's a, a zero to 60, like that torque that some guys have and some guys don't. And when... Elijah Moore made that grab on the deep end where he went 10 yards up, planted his right foot, cut, caught the ball from Zach Wilson away from Bryce Hall, and then cut again and got up the field. It wasn't like he was running around. It was like a deep in catch the ball, get the F up the field. His ability to catch ball and then burst, when I tell you it was like he caught the ball and there's like two yards of separation from the defense. Then it's five yards of separation. Then it's 10 yards. Then it's 15 yards. Then it's literally Elijah Moore running to the end zone while the rest of the defenders are just watching him run there. That acceleration, that excitement, that explosiveness, that hasn't been here in Florham Park, here at One Jets Drive, as long as I've been on the beat since 14. I haven't seen a player with that. I've seen good receivers like Marshall, good receivers like Decker, good receivers like Curley and Anunwa at times. I've never seen somebody like that that is the perfect blend of speed, acceleration, explosiveness, hands, route running, everything. And watching him practice these last three days, and I know it's early, and I'm not trying to jump to conclusions, but like, oh, he's a Pro Bowl receiver, he's a stud. So much can happen to derail this guy's career. You know who, you know who else had a great OTAs and beginning part of minicamp? Devin Smith. The guy looked great, couldn't cover him. Look what the hell happened to him. Like one, a, pad, a bad Geno Smith pass, which broke his ribs and, and, and punctured his lung, basically ended that guy's career. So things can change, obviously, but what I'm seeing from Elijah Moore now, what I'll say is I literally cannot wait to see this guy in training camp. I can't wait to see this guy in the preseason, and I can't wait till we get to the regular season to see what he looks like there because I wrote this as my lead to the the practice report today. He's never going to be the most popular player on the field. He's never going to be the most exciting player, or he's never going to be the most popular player on the field. He's never going to be the most noteworthy player. He's never going to steal all of the headlines or all the spotlight. But through these three practices we've seen throughout these two weeks of OTAs, Elijah Moore is the best player on the field. Like, I, I don't think that's wow. a question. He's And I know Denzel Mims is out. Uh, like Denzel Mims obviously isn't on the field. Carl Lawson isn't on the field. Uh, um, Corey Davis isn't on the field. Like, the Jets are missing a slew of players. But Elijah Moore is the best player on the field. Like there, I don't, I don't think that's that's been. I don't think that can be debated or is debatable uh, based off these three practices that that we've that we in the media have seen.
Wow, high praise. And of course, receivers tend to, you know, as rookies struggle a bit anyway. So we'll see how he does in all those other environments. But wow, to say that he's the uh, the most talented guy on the field right now. That's impressive. All right. Let's- if I'm Jamison Crowder, I'm, I'm getting back soon. Like We'll talk about Crowder in a second. But if I'm Crowder, I want to get back. Like this is, this is getting to the point now where like Crowder is going to come back and it's like, great, good player like you. But like we can't take him off the field. Like it's one of those yeah. things where you want to just keep feeding him the ball. Because you want him to keep getting better, you want him to keep progressing, you want to see what's going to happen next. That that's the kind of player he is. It's like you want to see what he does next. And and I don't, I kind of want to see if he can stretch the field. Like is he a guy that can get deep, get behind the defense? Because we haven't seen that yet. A lot of his catches have been intermediate, making it work within the red zone or like this deep in, deep crosser stuff like that. I want to see him go deep. I've only seen it once. It was the first OTA practice, and who was it? Twenty six. I think I threw away my roster. Um, was the guy who broke it up. So, I mean, I, I want to see a little bit more of that, but I, I can't wait to see what's next for the kid because he's he's doing, he's doing some impressive things. I do want to get to Crowder, but since we are live on YouTube and we get to see what people want to talk about, we'll switch things around a little bit here because a lot of chatter about C.J. Mosley. So let's go there first, and then we'll circle back about the guys who were not at practice today. And Mosley was the big question mark, right? I mean, this guy has played three quarters in two years, sat out last year because of the the pandemic. And the word from Jeff Ulbricht today was, there's no rust on this guy. A lot of talk about the leadership and everything. What did you see out of practice today from CJ Mosley, Connor? Same thing I've seen the first two days. A guy that's a guy that's running around. A guy that is, and as, as Ulbricht said, there's no signs of rust. And that's kind of what I was curious about. And we also talked to Jared Davis, who said, no, I don't I don't see anything either. Because that's kind of what I wanted to see. I, I wanted to see CJ on the field and see if there was, if he looked slow. You know, like, like Le'Veon took a year off and Le'Veon came back and Le'Veon looked slow. I wanted to see if that was, if that was Mosley. Like, was there hesitation? Was there... Was his reaction slowed down a little bit? Was his um, reading the defense, was that slowed down? Was he a little off at all with like his leadership? Maybe he, because he'd been gone for the last two years, maybe he didn't feel like speaking up. Was that there? Instead, there's none of it. There's no, there's no lack of speed. There's no lack of acceleration. There's no lack of leadership. Everything that he did for those three quarters against, excuse me, everything that he did for those three quarters against the the Bills, that's kind of what we've seen in OTAs to this part. And and yeah, look, I mean, there's no pads. I mean, this is this is kind of a very vanilla offense against a very vanilla defense, as everyone kind of uh, uh, figures this thing out. But this Robert Sala defense is also kind of tailor made to players like Davis and Mosley because it's a don't think just attack, don't think just react kind of a defense. And when you have somebody that is as intelligent as Mosley is, and you let him have that freedom. He's going to constantly find himself around the ball. And I think that's what you're starting to see in OTAs a lot is you're seeing a guy that is constantly around the ball. And the best play for me that I saw from him today, and, and the leadership is there. Like, like Ulbricht called him an uh, uh, alpha personality. I think he called, what was it? The uh, I got to find the quote that I tweeted out as I as I scrolled down. He called him authentic and an alpha leader. Um said he's so excited about CJ and what he brings to the defense and that he doesn't see any rust at all. I think the play of the day for me and what I saw where I was like, that's a linebacking play that we haven't seen in a while was when the Jets were in that seven on seven red zone drill. I can't, I can't recall because I couldn't really see. I was too impressed with Mosley's play, who the tight end was, but the Jets were trying to run like this little route over the middle of the field. And it was like, 
from the five yard line. I think it was like the tight end kind of makes like a little outside move, then comes in and sits down like right in the middle of, of the of like right basically right in front of the quarterback. And it's like a bang bang play. Like if left and right isn't open, just fire one quick into the tight end's gut. He falls down, touchdown. Like the Jets scored on a similar play to Ryan Griffin earlier. They scored on a touchdown to Denzel Mims on a similar route. They ran another one. Uh, on Wednesday, I think it was, to Chris Herndon, who caught the touchdown in the middle. I mean, they, they've ran it several times. Mosley went from the left side of the formation, read the play, shot across the field, and like nearly came away with the interception. But what was impressive was the speed in which he closed on the route, the speed in which he went from, I'm on the left side, to now I'm in the middle, to now I'm breaking it away. That was like vintage CJ, if you will. And I think... Because Mosley got that almost $90 million contract and then really hasn't played, it's easy to forget how good this guy was before he got hurt and before he opted out. I mean, he was probably the second best linebacker in the NFL, not named Luke Keekley from 2015 through 2018. I mean, this was a guy that made the Pro Bowl four or five years. This was a guy that was second team all pro four or five years. And if it wasn't for Luke Keekley, he would have been first team all pro. I mean, he was a ferocious leader. He was a guy that was so ridiculously football intelligent that he just knew how to set all of his teammates up and set himself up. He was athletic. He could rush the passer. He could play coverage. He could do everything. And he was why the Jets labeled him, both Adam Gase and Mike McCagnan, an A-plus free agent and could not believe he was out there in free agency, which is why McCagnan and Gase made such the consistent pursuit to bring him on because they knew what he'd mean for the locker room. They knew what he'd mean for the defense and they knew what he'd mean for, for being on the field. And unfortunately, Jet fans have only gotten a chance to see that for three quarters. There were only three quarters of vintage CJ Mosley. And for those three quarters, it was goddamn good. But then he heard his groin breaking up this gorgeous pass down the down the, the middle of the seam. The Jets end up losing the game strictly because C.J. Mosley leaves the field. And then obviously he tries to come back, gets hurt again or wasn't right. And then he's op- he opts out of 2020. But I think the fact you're getting him back on this defense, the fact that there doesn't seem to be any signs of rust, the fact that he's healthy, he's motivated, and he's playing within a defense that is perfectly built to accentuate his strengths. I think you're going to see very much this year, assuming he stays healthy, you're going to see what $85 million gets you. And you're going to see a damn good player. And I wrote this as well today. The biggest addition that the Jets made on defense or the biggest addition to the Jets defense this year might be the player that they signed two years ago. And it's that he is that talented when he's on. And if he's that on, you're going to see a guy that literally makes the 10 other people on that field better. All right. Michael sell his uh not gambling uh issues, but did Michael sell his AMC stock or was he still holding on to that, Marissa? I know I was texting him about did he did he get rid of it or did he still have it for when this this went down? Yeah, he does not have it anymore, and I've heard lots <laughs> about it, how he was uh, I mean he had a it. lot. He had more than me. I know yeah. I haven't told Bree yet. So when when AMC obviously like went through, we like, waited twenty nine minutes without a diversion. <laughs> we but that's fine. I, I think like off. if people are, right, we, I gave in. the people there's Zach Wilson and their Elijah more <laughs> crap. They can let me talk a little AMC for a second. When uh, when like the original like GameStop AMC like explosion was happening, they uh, Michael Marissa Michael Dunn Marissa's uh, fiance and I were like we were in on it big, and I bought many shares of AMC. And then I had gotten Brie in on it too. Like Brie was like, okay, give me like 10 shares of AMC. This is when I was like 10 or 11 bucks. And I bought it. I watched it go up to like 20. Then it came back down to like 12, 13 and it was starting to drop. So I was like, you know what? 
Just take the profit and sell it. Sell it, bought into something else. Bryce Huff, the Jets defensive lineman, is apparently very in on this AMC thing. And I saw him start retweeting AMC to the moon, AMC to the moon like two days ago. I was like, what the hell is he tweeting about AMC for? I thought that was dead. I open it up, I see it's like $60 a share. Like I missed out on like a lot of money. Like there was like a lot left there. So anyone who's been taking my draft or my stock tips with, you know, Connor Day Trader, I think we need to pull that one back in. I'll go back to OTA observations because I missed a big <laughs> chance there. The yes, ship has left the for the OTA moon and Connor. Connor's not Someone said I gambled away my magic or I gambled away my magic spoon. <laughs> I, I might have. You know who needs to eat less magic spoon? Makai mm. Becton, apparently. <laughs> yeah. How's that for a transition? Yeah. Um, all right, Very so, good. so nothing Tim loves more than a good transition. <laughs> so Becton uh, was at practice today, was seen on the field, but not participating. Hasn't participated basically since the first practice. He has this foot injury, um, uh, plantar fasciitis. I got, it. I got. It. Yep. Yeah, hate plantar fasciitis. That's the Boston. That's the Boston from version. English to be yeah. Um, anyway. You say that with your pinky out? So you, Connor, asked you asked Robert Sala about Becton before practice today. And Sala gave kind of a it was an interesting answer because I think if you read between listen between the lines, um, there's a little bit more to it. But let's play that and then we'll talk a little bit about it. No, that's a good question, Connor. They you, when you get it's every player. Uh, when you're in, when you take care of your body, when you're in shape, and you're doing all the things that you need to do to you think about it, their body is is their money maker, right? And it's and the the amount of investment that you put into your body is the amount that it'll give back, and and so that's part of the learning progression of young men. They they've got to learn how to take care of their bodies. They've got to learn how to eat right, uh, work out right, rest right, regen right, staying hydrated, and all those different things that that lead to longevity in this league. And Makai is one of those. He's a young man. He's a very talented young man. He's a very large young man, and uh, and he's learning every day on what it takes to be a professional and, and how to how to uh, make that next step. And so we got a lot of faith in him. He's doing all the right things right now, and uh, and we're excited to get get him to training camp and, and get to work with him. He finished it with the nice and thing, right? You might as well have just told him to call Jenny. Right? <laughs> he's, doing, <laughs> he's doing all the right things right now. Makes you think like, okay, but he hasn't been doing all the right things for the entire offseason, right? Like that's what I read into that is this guy is not in the shape they want him to be. Um, how did he look, Connor? You saw him in person. Big. I mean, but that's like what we've said about Makai forever. And, and I think what's most alarming – with this and I, I honestly mean it like the thing I think that's most alarming is that we have been talking about this guy's weight since they drafted him like draft night we're we're doing like the the conference call with Makai Becton and we're talking to him about how much he weighs and does he want to lose and I remember him telling us that like he had talked to his trainer and and they had figured out like it wasn't how much he was eating. It was what he was eating. So they changed that. He was like, I'm good now. I'm good. It's like, you know, I, I was just wasn't eating the right food. But then like camp rolls around and we're talking about his weight again. And like, no one ever wants to put a number on it. No one ever wants to say like, we want him to weigh this. We want him to weigh that. It's always like, oh, it's about marrying explosiveness and power. And, and everyone's weighting different. It's just so that, you know, he's still fast. And I was thinking manage like everybody's body's different. Blah, 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 like whatever. We talked about it in training camp last year. We talked about it before the regular season. We talked about it during the regular season. We talked about it after the season. We talked about it with Robert Sala like two weeks ago about his weight or like when he had a random 
uh, media availability of us, we were talking about Makai's weight. The fact that it's been a full year and this guy still does not have his weight under control is a major red flag. And, and there's there's no doubt that some of those weight issues, because he was overweight last year. Like, like that's a fact. I know that for a fact from talking to people over there. Makai was overweight the majority of last season. And the majority of last season, he missed time every single game. I mean, it became a running joke of, of when is Makai going to leave the game? Because he's not going to play every snap. So at what point is he going to come out? Is it going to be for the second quarter? Is it going to be for a series in the third? Is it going to be the first? I mean, he dealt with all these various ailments. And sometimes when you are that big and when you are overweight, the human body can only carry so much pounds. Like there's only so many pounds the human body can carry before it starts to break down and starts to have issues. And when the Jets drafted Mekhi Becton, I remember making calls to a lot of the people that I knew around the league. And I wrote about this today. And, and it was where what I got back from the majority of the people that I that I trust was there is no doubting his physical ability. He is an athletic freak. He's strong as an ox. He has talent and he has the ability to be an all pro. But the concern that almost everyone I talked to what had was he is so big and there were weight concerns with him at Louisville. And when you are that big of a human, when you are an offensive lineman that has weight concerns, when you are built that big and you carry too much weight and you can never get your weight under control, it leads to injuries. And the biggest red flag of an overweight offensive lineman with an injury is the foot. When you have a lineman that is struggling with weight, when you have a lineman that doesn't have his weight in control, and then he starts dealing with foot issues, that is red flag number one. Because what it means is that the body is too big to support, which is why your foot starts dealing with issues. So when we are now in not even training camp, we're in OTAs of year two, and Makai's already dealing with foot issues. Like, this needs to be a wake-up call. And, and I don't know why this guy in year two still doesn't have the weight in check. I mean, if this was like a rookie thing and it was like, okay, he's dealing with it like coming out of college, it was different. You know, you're you're 17, 18, 19-year-old, you're eating whatever's in the food, like blah, blah, blah. He's now got NFL trainers, NFL coaches, and NFL nutritional staff. He's a top 12 pick. The guy can go out there and hire his own chef to make him food, whatever he wants. I mean, for crying out loud, Jamal Adams had somebody making him like different fish from all over the world every day when he was here. Like the fact that you have all of these resources at your disposal and we are still in year, we are still now just entering year two and we still don't know what he's supposed to weigh. We still don't know what his body is supposed to be at. And worse, he's still not there. Like, so it's, it's even if they don't, even if the Jets don't want to give us a number, even if they don't want to say we want him to weigh 370 pounds, that's it. Not a dime more, not, or not a pound more, not a pound less. Even if they don't want to tell us that fine. If they don't want to tell us what his BMI wants to be fine. If they want to tell us what his fat percentage is uh, fine, whatever. But what they've told us is that it's not where it's supposed to be. They haven't told us how far off. They haven't told us what it's supposed to be, but they've made it very, very clear that Mekhi Becton does not weigh and does not have the body mass of what they want him to have. And when they doesn't have what they want him to have, and now he's dealing with all of these injuries, it is a major, major, major red flag. I mean, a foot issue on an offensive lineman that has concerns with weight is a massive, massive concern. And plantar fasciitis is not something where it's like, 
sit down for a week and you're good, bro. I mean, this isn't like a sprained wrist or like a hurt shoulder or like you dislocated your, your finger. It's not like, okay, just a little bit of time off and you'll be good. Or like a hamstring injury where it's like, okay, it's going to sideline you from like a bad one, maybe like a couple months, but then you'll be back. No, plantar fasciitis lingers. Like it lingers for a long time. And for an offensive lineman, it's got to be on his feet, has to plant, has to deal with bull rushes. This could be something that Becton has to deal with the entire year and is not the player he's supposed to be because he has to deal with this the entire year. And that is a concern because this Jets offensive line, the five of them, when they are conceivably healthy and all on the field at the same time, Mekhi Becton left tackle, Elijah Vera Tucker left guard, Connor McGovern center, Greg Van Roten right guard, George Font right tackle. They're not the Dallas Cowboys from a couple years ago. They're not the Philadelphia Eagles when they won the Super Bowl. They're not one of these offensive lines that is the best in the NFL. But that five in this blocking scheme can be pretty good, definitely serviceable. And if they really start meshing together and come together, you're talking about a group that that has the chance to be good. Like not great, not amazing, not incredible, but they won't be the reason you lose games. And and for what the Jets offensive lines look like last three, four, five years, you'll take that. What this offensive line cannot withstand and what has the chance to completely decimate this group is if these five guys start going down. Basically, the only place that the Jets have a little bit of depth on that offensive line is at right guard because there's not much of a drop between Greg Van Roden and Alex Lewis. Like, they both aren't very good. They're both maybe okay. But, like, if you lose Greg Van Roten and Alex and Alex Lewis goes in, it's like, okay. If you if Alex Lewis is the starter, he goes out and Greg Van Roten goes in, it's like, okay. I mean, it's a position you can probably improve anyway, but it's not great. Where they have problems is if Makai Becton goes down. Like, he's not practicing right, practicing right now. Connor McDermott's the Jets' starting left tackle. Jabari Zuninga just beat him like a drum for a sack of Zach Wilson in 11-on-11 drills today. Like, Jabari Zuninga's got talent and some mobility, but, like, it's Connor McDermott. Like, the guy's... The guy should not be your starting blindside protector in 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 anything. Like he, he shouldn't be your blindside protector in the AAF, let alone like the freaking NFL. Like that shouldn't happen. If George Fant goes down, you don't really have a backup right tackle. Like there are issues across the line with depth because again, you build depth through drafting guys consistently. And Joe Douglas has only been now through his third or through his second draft, so he hasn't had the time to do these things. With Becton out. The Jets are having an issue. There is a legitimate now concern with this offensive line because they don't have a left tackle. And even if you move Fant over there, now you got an issue at right tackle. So this is this is something that's going to be worth monitoring. His weight's going to be something worth monitoring. And at this point, I don't have an answer as to why it's still not under control. But I will say that this injury that we know Mekhi Becton now has, it makes the pursuit of Morgan Moses make more sense. That to me makes a lot more sense now than what it did before. A lot more sense now than what it did before. And that's what I was going to go to next was uh, Salah was asked about Morgan Moses today. He praised him, but then obviously did the typical, you know, you got to talk to Joe Douglas about that. But knowing the situation with Becton, does that increase the chances that they do go inside? Now he went, he visited the Jets. Since then he's visited the Bears. He may see other teams um, but he's probably monitoring these injury situations as well. So how does he fit into a situation where you hope to have Becton ready to go full steam ahead for the opening of training camp, but you also have to have some sort of insurance? So how do you how do you bring in Moses knowing how unsure the whole situation is? So the best way to describe is like when they first 
when that was first announced, it didn't make much sense to me because Morgan Moses is a starting offensive lineman. He's not a backup. And he's not at this point in the year going to get $15 million. You know, probably not. He's not going to get 13, 14, 15 million dollars. He might not even get $10 million, but he's still a guy that's going to sign for five, six, seven million dollars a year at the minimum. Um, he's a starter too. He's not somebody that's going to sign with a team right. unless he's going to play. Like that, that's, and I'm not talking about as your swing offensive lineman either and like jumbo packages. Like he's going to start. Like that, that's the player he is. So with the Jets pursuing him, I was kind of like, well, where does he fit on the offensive line? Because. The Jets could have gotten out of George Fant's contract this year. Like, it was basically a one-year deal, but his $8 million base salary for 2021 became fully guaranteed on the fifth day of the league year. The Jets are not going to pay George Fant $8 million to not play. And because that contract is now fully guaranteed, they can't cut him. So George Fant is going to be on the field. Makai Becton, obviously, when healthy, is going to be on the field. So Morgan Moses, I was like... If you sign him, are you going to move Fant to right guard and replace Greg Van Roten? I was like, okay, that maybe could work because Fant's an athlete. But the whole reason that Fant signed with the Jets was because they told him, you're going to play one position, one position only. You can finally focus on that. Because in Seattle, he had to play all over. Tight end, left tackle, right tackle. Never got a chance as a converted, basically, basketball player in college. He never got a chance to just focus on one position. So that's what he wanted to do with the Jets was focus on one position when they drafted Beckton, he got a chance to focus on right tackle. I was like, I don't think now, and he's never he's never played guard before where he would know how to do it. I don't think they're going to move him to right guard. I was like, so what is what are they doing? Is Moses really going to be a backup? Are they really going to pay uh, Fant eight million to ride the bench? Like that's not what teams do. Like that, that like that's why the Jets are in this issue right now with Jamison Crowder. They're trying to get him a pay cut. I mean, you don't pay people that much money to be a backup. Like it, it would work in Madden, but that's just not how it works in real life. Learning about the Becton injury, it's almost like an aha, you know, because like I said, plantar fasciitis lasts. That's not a a, a one or two week thing. I know Becton can get back on the field, but this is still going to be something they're going to have to monitor throughout the year. You go online, read about plantar fasciitis. It's a six month recovery without surgery. Like, yeah, you can manage the pain. You can do things. It's still like a six month recovery where you feel like you're the same. I mean, what does six months on June get us to? I got to bring out the fingers to count it out, but I know it's not ideal. Christmas. Like seriously, like I, I know. Yeah. So, okay. So there we go. So that that's, what's going to be underneath Becton's tree is a, a fixed foot. Like, so there you go. So it's like, it's, it's like, this is a problem. And if Becton tries to go, or if Becton goes in training camp and then gets re-injured, or Becton goes down again, or Becton actually can't go in the regular season, or he starts missing time in the regular season, as we were just talking about, the next man up is Connor McDermott, and that is a problem. That's an issue. So getting Moses almost makes some sense because it's like an insurance policy you know you're going to enact on. You know, it's almost like getting car insurance knowing you're about to drive your car off a bridge. Like it's like you know what's going to happen, so you got to do it, and. He would allow the Jets to take Fant, who can play left tackle and move him to left tackle. Moses can then pay right tackle. Then you have Fant left, Vera Tucker left guard, Connor McGovern center. Right guard is Alex Lewis or Greg Van Roten. Right tackle is Morgan Moses. Like, that's what it allows you to do. And after hearing this talk is kind of when I was like, okay, that makes a little bit more sense. And probably the reason why the Jets haven't signed him yet or why the Jets didn't make him like, you know, 10 million is because they know Becton's still going to come back. So it's still an insurance. I mean, the best case scenario for the Jets is Becton left tackle, Fant right tackle. That's what they want. They want those two guys with then Vera Tucker and, and pick your poison at right guard. That's what they want. 
So if that's still possible and they like those odds, they're not going to go give Moses, you know, $9 million to ride the bench. That's just not going to happen. But you can tell they're doing their homework because the thought is at least in their head that even when Becton gets back on the field, there's a chance that that's not really Becton, that that's 50% of Becton or that's 60% of Becton or is that 70% of Becton? And how long is 70% of Becton going to last before you get 0% of Becton and he gets hurt again? And if he doesn't get his weight under control, it's going to happen. I mean, I think the stat was, I think Costello said it at practice the other day, Becton played less snaps last year than Sam Darnold and Sam missed like a month. Like, and Becton played less snaps than him. So there's a legitimate concern there with his durability and it all stems from his from his size, and, and it's something that obviously we're gonna we're gonna be monitoring for a good long while. It was in our Jets bingo game. Was uh, Makai Becton leaves game with mysterious injury, and then Makai Becton <laughs> returns to field later in game. Yeah. There were two of the spots. Yeah, it happened every single game. Um, all right, so yep. we should talk a little bit about Crowder as well. Um, not at practice because of a contract situation. The situation is. He's scheduled to make $10 million this year, right? And the Jets would like to have him on the team, but they don't want to pay him that amount of money. So it's a, I mean, I guess the question for you, Connor, is Robert Sala sounded very confident today, but it's his job to sound confident. Are you confident that they're able to find a common ground with Crowder to bring him back for a lesser amount? I, I mean, this is just the the ugly business side of the, the sport. I mean, because the Jets signed Jamison Crowder to that contract two years ago and the out in that contract came in year three. And in all likelihood, they probably were thinking about, oh, we'll probably just cut him after two years and it'll be fine. Or we'll, we'll extend him after two years and we'll push that money back. Um, Jamison Crowder is not a 10, $11 million a year receiver. He is a good player. Obviously, he was the Jets' leading receiver the last two years, but but he was the Jets' leading receiver the last two years because they basically had no one else. I mean, who uh, who was going to steal receptions from him? Jeff Smith, Josh Malone, like like those were going to be those were the guys that for a large portion of last year were competing for playing time with Jamison Crowder. So obviously, Sam Darnold trying anything that he can do to find a receiver started going to Crowder over and over and over again. He's a good player. The Jets are better with him on there, but he's not a great player. The business side of this is that when you have a player that is making X amount of money and that X amount of money is completely unguaranteed, which is basically what Crowder's con. I think he's like an $11.75 million cap hit this year. One million of that is is guaranteed. Like one million, it's his prorated signing bonus is the only thing that's left of like what the Jets would have to pay with cap hit. So they would free 10 million. The Jets know that if they were to cut Jamison Crowder right now, the most he's getting from any other team is three or four million dollars. Like that is the most that he's going to get from any for any other team. So why should the Jets, from a business perspective, pay Jamison Crowder ten million dollars when they know they can cut him, free six million dollars, and know he's only going to get four million dollars elsewhere? It's basically what they did to Alex Lewis. They went to Alex Lewis and said, you don't have any guaranteed money left in your contract. We're not paying you five and a half million. So you can accept this revised contract or we're going to cut you and you can go and get one or two million dollars from some other team or have no team sign you. Like like that, those are your options. So Alex Lewis accepted it. With Alex Lewis, I get it because Alex Lewis is going to be your backup. I don't understand 
why you do it to Jamison. Because much like we're talking about with the offensive line, where if Becton goes down or Fant goes down, you're in some real deep shit. If you lose Elijah Moore, if you lose Denzel Mims, if you lose uh, Corey Davis, the Jets receiving core is in trouble. Right now, they are in a very fortunate position where while they're not the Dallas Cowboys with, you know, Amari Cooper and uh, a CeeDee Lamb and who's that? I forget the other guy they have, uh, Gallup, Michael Gallup. While you're not like the Dallas Cowboys, which basically have two number one receivers and then a really good upper echelon number two wide out, the Jets are in a very rare position for this team where they have a lot of talent at receiver, where they got Corey Davis, a good player. Denzel Mims, they're high on. Uh, uh, Braxton Berrios is a guy who can play in the slot. Well, obviously, they just invested a high pick in Elijah Moore, who looks really good. And then you have Jamison Crowder. You got five guys who can play and contribute and make plays on Sunday. That's a good thing. And I know that they technically don't have to pay Jamison Crowder. And I know Jamison Crowder is technically overpaid. But I don't understand why you go after the guy's money when you don't necessarily need it. Because the Jets right now have $27 million in salary cap space. They can go sign whoever they want in free agency and still be loaded for the next couple of years. They don't need an extra $10 million from Crowder. I mean, that's they have $27 million with that $11 million cap penalty for Crowder on their, their roster. So it's like, why? Like, I, I just, I don't, I don't understand why they're doing it other than the business side of things. And the Jets haven't exactly had a sterling reputation the last couple of years, going back to Kalecha Osemele, some of the rumors with, with uh, CJ Mosley and his groin, obviously with Adam Gase and his player relations, Le'Veon Bell, they don't exactly have this sterling reputation right now with, with players and, and what they mean for player relations to go after a guy that's been your leading receiver the last two years for money that you don't need. It's almost like you're just making a business decision because that's the business decision that you think you should make. I mean, if, if the Jets were like, like the Jets had had Crowder on this deal and they saw, you know, Becton went down for the year and they were like, we need to go sign Morgan Moses. We have $1 million in salary cap space. We need this money to go sign Morgan Moses. I get it because you're going after Crowder's money to get the money and then use it elsewhere. Like, I get that. You're basically like, look, we're going to have to cut you because we need to fix another position. The Jets are basically going after Jamison Crowder's money just to go after Jamison Crowder's money because they think he's overpaid. And is he overpaid? Yes. Is he worth $11 million a year? No. But if you don't need the money, why go and get it? Like, it it, it doesn't make sense to me. And I know that Salah was very like, no, absolutely he'll be on the team this year. And, and yeah, we have a role for him and I can't wait to see him. I don't I think Sala does a very good job of separating himself from the business side of things yeah. where Joe and his people handle the business and Sala coaches the team. And that doesn't mean Sala isn't involved in like I want to target this guy isn't involved in the draft isn't that's not what I'm saying. But I think when it comes to business decisions, which is why he made the comment uh when he first got hired about how players should get as much money as they can possibly get. I think Salah's like, I don't want to know about contracts. I don't want to know about the negotiations of contract. I want to take care of my guys and be my guy's friend and be my guy's coach and teach them and help them and coach on the field. You guys take care of all that stuff. So it would not surprise me to see the Jets go to Salah and be like, hey, we're cutting Crowder because we couldn't figure it out. And then Salah calls up Crowder and be like, I'm so sorry. I didn't want this to happen. And he really didn't. He genuinely did. But for me, like I said, I don't think they're doing right by him. I don't see the point in doing this and I don't understand why you do this other than you can. You know what I mean? It's almost like 
It's almost like when you get in trouble with your parents or like your parents tell, tell you like you can't do something and they're why? Like, well, because I'm the parent and I say so. It's almost like that. Like they just have this power and they're executing it when they don't have to. And to me, it doesn't make sense. And I, it's not even about pushing money forward to next year because Crowder is on the final year of his dearly. He's he's off the books next year. Crowder's gone next year. So so you can bet $10 million is going to be there in 2022 anyway. So in my opinion, I would I would pay, I would let him make $10 million this year. Who cares? Like, who cares? It doesn't matter because it doesn't affect your bottom line. You still have almost $30 million in salary cap space. It doesn't affect you in 2022. It doesn't matter. So just why are you doing this? Get him in camp, let him get his chemistry down and realize you're a better team with Denzel Mims split wide, Corey Davis split wide, Elijah Moore in the slot one way and Jamison Crown in the slot one way and rotating in Keelan Cole when you want somebody to go deep. It's just, it. To me, man, it's, I understand it from a business perspective. I don't understand it from a personal perspective because it doesn't have to be done. And it's like I said, it's like the Jets are just doing it because they can do it. And that, to me, that's just, that's just, it's not how I Well, they'll probably get their way because you mentioned it. If, if they do cut him, what he's not going to get the money somewhere else. So he's better off taking a little less and staying. But yeah. it is a killer because new coaching staff, new offense, new quarterback, you got to have the guy out there. So so get something done. Um, all right, one more. Th- we started with the quarterback. We got to end with the lack of a backup quarterback, Connor. Um, they still haven't made a move. There are still veterans available. Um, you've seen White and you've seen Morgan. You've seen these guys out there in practice. They're not going to cut it, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's time. It's time. Uh, I'm just tweeting this out because we're. Trying, I forgot to do this. Um, it's enough's enough. I I. I just because you go acquire a backup via trade, via signing, whatever, or adjusted contract, I don't know. Zach Wilson's still going to get all the first team reps. He's still going to get the same number of reps he is now. But giving these reps to Mike White, giving these reps to James Morgan, James Morgan is not ready to be a backup quarterback. He's not ready to be a number two. Maybe next year. Right now, he is not ready to be a backup quarterback. Mike White is not an NFL quarterback. Like that's Mike White's not an NFL quarterback. James Morgan's not ready to be a backup quarterback. So what are we doing here? Yep. Like that's that's honestly when I was watching practice today, like Zach Wilson was struggling a little bit, but as I'm sitting there watching like Mike White and James Morgan just like poo-poo all over the field. I'm like, what the hell are we right, doing? Cuz they're not helping like, Wilson go? either. That's the thing you need the veteran to no, help the rookie. No. Yeah, it's the blind leading the blind <laughs> basically. It's like it's enough is enough. Just Go get the backup. This isn't about like where the Jets haven't signed a veteran corner because they want to see the young guys play. This isn't about this. Like Mike White is not going to be your number two quarterback week one. James Morgan is not going to be your number two quarterback week one. If anything, having those two guys go number two and number three for Zach Wilson is actually a detriment to Zach Wilson because they're not helping him in any way. I mean, if you were to go out there and sign Nick Foles, and and I know people will be on me, why do you keep saying Nick Foles? Why do you keep saying Nick Foles? Why do you keep saying Nick Foles? It's just because the connections are so obvious where he knows Joe Douglas, he's available, and he's been there, done that. But the been there, done that part is so valuable because in practice moments, in game moments, Nick Foles will do things based off of veteran experience that Zach Wilson can see. Things that Mike White ain't going to do. Things that James Morgan ain't going to do. Nick Foles will do because he's a veteran. Is he a great quarterback? No. But he is a veteran who has veteran experience, who knows what to do in certain situations. 
Zach Wilson will learn by observing that. So while he's still getting his first team reps, doing all those things, when he's standing next to Michael LaFleur, watching the second team offense go and watching the third team offense go, he can watch and observe how Nick Foles, a veteran quarterback who has been in it and done it and won at the highest level, which is why he has a Super Bowl ring on his finger and why Joe Douglas has a third. He'll be able to see and observe these things and he will be better for it. Having a veteran quarterback helps a young rookie even if that veteran quarterback doesn't play. So this isn't about getting a veteran quarterback and giving that veteran quarterback first-team reps till Zach Wilson's ready. That's clearly not happening. Zach Wilson's going to be the guy receiving all first-team reps in mandatory minicamp and training camp, preseason, and the regular season. But get the veteran in there to help Wilson on the practice field, to help Wilson in the film room, to make him better and make his life easier. Because right now, it's like, enough is enough. Like, just go get the backup. Go get the number two quarterback. Just get him and you're going to do it anyway. It's going to happen eventually. So just do it already because it's going to help Zach. It's going to help the offense. It's going to help everything move forward. I've seen enough of, 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 uh, I've seen enough of this, of, of white. I've seen enough of Morgan. It's just, I'm done. I don't, I don't want the young guys to get reps. I don't want them to get their learning experiences and OTAs. Enough. The only guy that's worth learning and developing is Zach Wilson. So go get the backup so we can start learning this offense as well. Help Zach Wilson to move forward. It's just enough's enough. Like it's just, I'm again, it's it's like, what are we doing here? Like what 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 is the point? You're grooming Mike White for what? For like his next job at some accounting firm? Like it's like, it ain't gonna be in the NFL. Like it's not, he's not an NFL quarterback. That's just a fact. James Morgan might not be an NFL quarterback, but at least he has enough talent where the Jets drafted him, so they're going to keep developing him. But just go get the veteran and move on with this thing, because this whole, like, Mike White, James Morgan after Zach Wilson, it, it makes no sense to me. Like, literally, I like, there's times where I'm looking at practice, and I'm like, I can't believe there's no veteran here. Like, I can't believe there's no veteran. It's, just, it's mind-boggling. It really is mind-boggling. You sound like a guy who got a ticket on his way down the New Jersey turnpike. Go ahead. That's how we're going to end it now. You don't get to rant at the beginning, but you can rant at the end. I'm still so pissed. I'm, I'm so like, so I, I use Apple CarPlay. Like people talk to me like you guys have made fun of me before, like texting and driving. I don't text and drive. Like I use Apple CarPlay for everything. And that my friends now make fun of me because it says sent by mm-hmm. Siri. And they're like, wow, you're really talking into your phone. I'm like, no, I'm using Apple CarPlay. So after practice today, like the Jets, the Jets don't serve food still because of COVID and I forgot to bring food. So I was like, I'm hungry. I've got to find a place to go. And I didn't want to go to like fast food because I don't eat fast food. So I was like, oh, I'll find a Wawa on my way home. So I did. found a Wawa, stopped there, got like a, a wrap and whatever, ate my, that and my fruit in my car. And then I like get in my car. I'm driving I'm driving down a brand new area that I've never been because I, I took me off my route into Millstone, wherever the hell that is, to go get, yeah, to go get like a, a, a took me into like Bridgestone or Bridgewater to go That's get right Wawa. That's right by me. Yeah, and then do you know any cops in Millstone? Because I got pulled over by. Oh, it wasn't even a state. So it wasn't I ended a New up going Jersey to state cop. Oh, no, okay. it was like it was like a township cop, and that's like so that's how you know I got screwed. So I go through Bridgewater, end up going into Millstone, and I'm driving, and for whatever reason, like my phone plugs into a magnet on my car, and so as I'm driving, my car, my phone is my GPS. Like it's plugged into Apple CarPlay for my GPS. I don't know where I am. My phone falls off my magnet. So I'm like, oh shit, it falls off into the passenger seat. So I grab my phone out of my passenger seat and I bring it up like this and I'm putting it back on the magnet. The cop drives by and sees me like this with my phone. (laughs) And so sure enough, like all of a sudden, like I see the cop like quick, there's a car behind me. I see the cop quick turn around. I'm like, oh wow, I guess like 
I guess somebody got somebody was speeding. I'm, I look at my speedometer, like I'm going speed limit, so it's not me. And the guy goes like the the car behind me moves moves over to the side. So I'm like, oh, he must have gotten a call. He's going to like save somebody. So I pull off to the side. Guy pulls off to the side with me, and I'm like. Well, maybe it wasn't Bridgewater then, Steve. I, I, don't know I just I looked it up too. My, I was like, yeah. I'm from like by Bridgewater. I'm Mil- like, I was in Millstone. We got it's a comment Millstone that's in Bridgewater. I was in Somerset County. Millstone. Somerset County. Yeah, Bridgewater is actually by the shore. I'm oh, not near maybe was... you were by like Millington or Martinsville. Martinsville I, is right Marissa, by I have no idea. I'm in Randomville, wherever, where there happens to be a Wawa. I'm 10 minutes past where the Wawa is. So I'm driving. Phone falls off. Start, the cop pulls the lights over goes all over to me I'm, I'm obviously pulls up behind me i'm like i'm getting pulled over i've been driving since i was 17 i don't have a single ticket or point on my license ever i've been in two accidents neither of them were my fault both once i was rear-ended by a drunk driver once i was rear-ended by a kid who was texting behind me and pushed me into oncoming traffic told him my car was a real traumatic experience very scary so i'm like pulled over the guy he, he comes up to my window and like, I do the whole thing. Like, you know, you're supposed to put your hands on your wheel and turn off your car. Cause you know, like you don't want them to think you have anything on you. And like, I have my wheels up there. It goes license and registration and proof of insurance. Give him all those things. Doesn't he just immediately leaves, comes back. He goes, you had your phone in your hand. And I'm like, oh shit. I was like, I didn't even know that's what you got me for. I was like, oh, I was like, officer, I'm so sorry. I was like, my phone fell off my GPS. I was like, my phone's my GPS. I was like, it fell off my mount. I was just putting it back on. I'm sorry about that. I was like, and he goes, he goes, uh, you have to pull off the side of the road before you do that. And I was like, I'm sorry. I was like, I don't usually drive around here. I was just trying to get my GPS back up. I was like, I was just plugging my, my phone back in. He goes, he just hands me a ticket. And I'm like, well, shit. I was like, all right, whatever. It's what, like, I'm, I'm figuring, okay, he got, he got me for holding my phone. It's probably like a 100 to $200 fine. Like, yeah, that's not a hit exactly I want to take, but it's like, at this point, I just want to go home. Like, I'm, I'm, I just want to go home. And I'm like, all right. I was like, he goes, uh, he goes, uh, your court date is June 14th. I'm like, I look at him like, court date? I was like, what the hell did you get me for? I was like, I was putting my phone on my GPS. I was like, I didn't run anyone over. I was like, what did you? He goes, if you get any cell phone infraction in New Jersey, I looked this up. It's, it's a new rule since like 2015. If you get any cell phone infraction in New Jersey, it is an automatic court date. You can't pay your, you can't just pay it online. So I'm like, how much is this ticket going to be? So I go online and I read about it. It's literally like, worst case like i'm gonna it's because it's my first infraction whatever because I, I don't have any i have no points or anything on my license so it's gonna be like 150 dollars fine no points on my license and well, i have to good. go to court to pay it and i'm looking at the guy i was like i was like sir i was like i have no tickets ever in 12 years i have no points on my license i was like I, i'm getting married like 10 days after this i was like is there any chance i was like i've had a day man i was like is there any chance that we can just do anything else that doesn't involve me going to court. He goes, no, hands me the ticket and walks away. I was like, should have said, I had to watch James Morgan play quarterback today. And now you're giving me. (laughs) Yes, I should have been like, dude, I was like, I like, don't, yeah. Well, but don't you know who I am? So do you have to go to the Somerset County uh, courthouse? I have to, I have to go to the Millstone Borough Municipal Court. Uh, Okay. That is not Somerset County. Yeah. It's in Somerset County. Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, I know because Bree and I are looking to potentially move. No, we're not moving there now. It's like right near. <laughs> it's in, yeah, yeah, it's not, not in Sunset County. I told Bree, Bree got a raise at work at Chop, and I told her, I was like, good thing. I was like, I can't support you from jail. And I was like, Jesus. I was like, this was really. Like, the guy comes in and goes, you have to go County. to court. I was like, court? I was like, what the hell did I do? I mean, I'm looking over the ticket, too. No speeding, no this, no that. It was like, 
dry. It was dry weather, light, clear cell phone. I was like, I dropped my phone. Like just drop my, just, that's it. Just, just, uh, just putting it on. He's like, you had your phone in your hand. I was like, dude, I was like, I'm really sorry, but like, I don't get in trouble with police officers. I'm a really nice guy. I promise. He's like, did just had none of it. It was like, well, I, I know this where I'm from, like the Medford cops. Like when you have those county cops, they're tough, man. Like they're not like state troopers are usually more like lax. Like they'd be like more understanding. Like I've been pulled over by those before and they always look at my record and they're like, oh, you've never been in trouble before. You're good. This guy wanted no part of it. This guy was like, he was coming for me. He, 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 he hated gingers. I'm convinced. He hated gingers. So question. Um, I think I speak. Or, for, or, or it was a Patriot fan. I, one of the two. I think I speak for, on behalf of the chat. Was the Wawa worth it? No, I did get Mike and Ike stuff. And that, that was, no, you know what? That's like the whole butterfly effect of like, if this, then that. Like if I had just eaten in my car instead of staying, like I stayed in the Wawa parking lot and ate the sandwich. If I had just eaten in the car and kept driving, this probably doesn't happen. If I had just Pack gone straight lunch. home, doesn't happen. Cause I'm on the highway the whole time. I'm in cruise control, just listening to music, driving, going through some random place and some just officer happened to be driving by. And at the exact time, my phone falls off the mount. Like how about that? And now I got to go to court. I'm a wanted man. I'm a future. So if anybody <laughs> listening to this podcast or watching this podcast is a lawyer and wants to, a male male yeah, wants to represent Connor like, I don't have in traffic court. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there any lawyers? Yeah, can somebody? That's the other thing too. Is like I read online. Like I was gonna fight it because I'm like this is bullshit. But you like, definitely can't fight that like, one. No, yeah. the rule in Jersey. No, the rule in Jersey is like it's if the phone is in your hand. Like it's not about texting, calling. Because I was like, I'll give you my damn records. Like there's no texting. I didn't text anyone. So I was like, I'll give you my records, my phone records, my text records, all that stuff. But they said like, no, it's like, it could be, I was changing the song on Spotify. Like just like if my Spotify is up and I'm pressing the button to change the song, they can hit you for that. Like it's, it just, the guy wanted to get me. Now I'm a, now I'm a criminal. And I think. Yeah. You know, I have, I wore, I got that orange BMS shirt. I, it's a good thing. <laughs> I got to get more orange now. Orange pinstripes. Oh. And I'm not going to do good in court. Like, you know that I am the least clutch person in the world. The, the. Jur- what do I call her? Her or him? Judge. Your Honor. Your Honor? Your she's Honor. gonna say like Connor Hughes and start sobbing, screaming, "I'm sorry, I didn't do it." I'm Zach Wilson boy. warned about those right. New Jersey drivers. He was talking yeah, about I heard Connor. All about that last week. Those New Jersey drivers. So yeah. The crazy thing too is we have this expansion draft story that's supposed to be done on the same day as my court date. I'm gonna have to tell Allison that. Like, <laughs> hey, I don't know if I can do this because I have to go to court. Like, how about that? I'm, I've never been. I've the worst I ever got was an in-school suspension once. That's the worst trouble I've ever been in. And now I have to go to court. I don't even know what I'm going to do. What do you wear to court? Do I have to wear a suit? I, I went to traffic court. I also court. want to overdress. Oh, I went did? to traffic court once and I uh, I had a, um, my registration was, had expired. And I got pulled over, but I was trying to move at the time from South Dakota back to the East Coast. So I went into court and I was like, I'm sorry. I'm moving, so I didn't get it redone because it just expired a month ago. They actually let me off. Um, they just mm-hmm. made me pay the uh, the court fee, which was like twenty dollars. But I wore. How long were you there for? I wore. Actually, that's the other thing. Yeah, a couple fine. hours. But I wore a suit. Um, and if you wear a suit, you will be by far the best dressed person in traffic court. I'll tell you that much. At least in South Dakota. Just New Jersey, New Jersey oh, traffic court may be a little different, but South Dakota traffic a, court. You go to a wedding in South Dakota wearing a suit, you'd be the yeah. best dress. <laughs> I want to hear the Tim story. How the hell are you in South Dakota? That's a wild one. First job out of college. Got to start somewhere, right? I was the weekend sports anchor at uh, KOTA TV in Rapid City. There you go. Good times. 
It's actually Somebody a lot. Of, it was great, but it was great for two years, and then it was time to go. There we go. Yeah. Uh, someone asked me how I got my in-school suspension. This will probably come as a very big surprise, but it was from talking consistently. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> so I had, I had in my senior year, I had sex ed after lunch with the two people that are my two best men at my wedding were in the class with me. So you can understand how 18-year-old Connor Hughes in sex ed coming off of lunch like, so you're like all jittered up and ready to go off a of lunch into sex ed with your two best friends was a recipe for disaster. And I got sent down to the office and written up like every day for cracking jokes and talking. But what is wild, and I will go down in the boat saying, this is my last thing I'm saying, is what I actually got the ISS for, I wasn't even talking. So I realized I was on like short order because I had been written up twice and I knew a third one meant in school, like in school, uh, in school suspension, uh, weekend suspension. You you had to go and clean the school on Saturday. Like it wasn't even ISS. It was like I went to school on Saturday for three hours and had to like clean the trophy cases and stuff, like with all of the like druggies. Like it was wild. I was like I so didn't fit in. But so I I knew I was in trouble. So I was like, you know what? I was pissed at the teacher. I was like, I'm gonna sleep throughout class. Can't get in trouble for talking if I sleep. So I literally put my head down like this on the desk. Like had my head down like this. My asshole friend, Matt, made like this sound when she started talking about sex ed. I literally lifted my head like this. She looked at Matt and goes, you office. She looked at me. She goes, you with him. And I was like, I I didn't even do anything. I was like, I was sleeping. And she goes, no, I heard you. I was like, snoring? Like, what did you hear me do? And I go down. And what's wild is like the teacher that like got me in trouble her daughter was best friends with my sister. So she used to come to my house all the time to like drop like her daughter, Sarah off to play at the house. I was like, Hey, Miss Ren, remember when you gave me in school or Saturday detention, Saturday suspension, whatever the hell they called it at Seneca. Yeah. Wild. I got a nice little verbal beat down from mama Hughes for that one. She was not happy. The cop that pulls you over today was probably like the son of that teacher. He was it's a all, young guy. He was a young guy. I thought we bond. I thought we bond. He seemed like a nice, thought he was a nice cop. Super young dude, like was probably like, an I was like, Eagles hey, man, I, was like, I'm, I called him sir. Probably yeah, yeah. Probably I was like, I was like, dude, I was like, I'm really sorry. I was like, I was just putting my phone back up. Nope, wanted none of it. Done. You have All a court right. court order. I was like, holy shit, dude. Like, fuck. I texted Bree. She just was like, lol. I was like, yeah, thanks. So I was like, uh, like I said, good thing she got her little raise at shop because she's gonna have to support herself while I'm locked up. <laughs> All right, I'm I think we have. Uh, yeah, let's... he's also. Hey, by the way, I'm, I'm sure. Watch watch the judge. At Millstone Borough Municipal Court is a can't wait loyal listener is going to hear me like trashing this ticket and I'm going to go there and she's going to give me like the maximum fine. She's throw you in 90 prison. days community service. Going to put me in jail for my wedding. Like, oh, it's going to be great. That would actually be, be a great, great story. So. We should actually do a show that day. Day of Connors. Do a, do a show parents. from behind bars? Yeah. yeah. What, do you think the, what do you think the Wi-Fi is like there? Well, yeah, that's, you're not going to have a fish tank behind me. You're going to have like <laughs> Big Bob, my cellmate. Oh, it's going to be great. All right. And on that note, let's wrap this one up. Uh, if you want to join The Athletic, great deals always running right now, $3.99 a month. Go to theathletic.com slash the Can't Wait Podcast. We're going to be back again next week because OTAs go on. Two more sessions. We'll be back to fill you in on how everybody looks. Zach Wilson, we'll see if Crowder makes it to the field by then and maybe Mekhi Bechtel will practice. All that and more coming up next week on the next episode of Can't Wait.